This is The President's Neck is Missing. Your quasi-intellectual guide through today's modern world with host Rurik Yakel and special guest Neo Guevara. Warning, language, content, listen at your own risk. Here now is Rurik Yakel. Okay, okay. Uh, all right, thanks everybody. I am Rurik Yakel. Uh, this is the President Snack is Missing version of Be Kind, Please Rewind, our weekly roundup into all things pop culture, TV shows, movies, uh, things of the past, and shooting forward into the future. Uh, with me, my good friend, Neo G. Neo G! What up? Yeah, Neo Guevara. Nice to see you, sir. Uh, I haven't seen you for a couple of days now. How have you been? Well, you know, it's, I, I mean, <laughs> what a loaded question in these days and times. Um, well, here's, the, here's, the, here's like the, you know, like public consumption, popular opinion style of like, oh, I've been okay. You know, I've been doing things and keeping myself busy and having a routine. And when actuality, I'm just going through the motions and the daily struggles and fighting anxiety and depression as the most people are, you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see, is, I see. Which is why this topic is amazing because this is a little defense coping mechanism escapism that I go through, which are film, man. It, it is. Right? This gives us a chance to uh, go back into a little bit of our childhood um, and maybe uh, you know recapture those uh, glory days. I see that you're wearing uh, you're wearing a, a nice shark t-shirt. How many sharks are on there, buddy? Uh, I do believe that there are seven sharks on this shirt, if I'm not mistaken. Lucky You're number a, seven. You are a shark aficionado, a shark as far fiend, as I know. A shark, a shark obsessed guy, totally. Have a have a tattoo. Half my right arm is a shark. Uh, it all started, uh, ironically enough. Four years old. Parents take me into uh, take me to the drive-in. Double feature. I can't remember for the life of me what the fucking first movie was. Like honestly, um, all I remember is in the, the the worst Jaws of them all. Jaws four, the revenge. Oh, right. Um, but here's the thing. Four years old, I liked, I just, I've always loved animals, always had an affinity for animals in general, marine, whatever, it doesn't matter, reptiles, mammals, it doesn't matter to me. If it's an animal, I, I love it. Anything but a human, I fucking love them. Um, <laughs> so I'd always, we had fish, we had little, you know, aquariums and, and little fish tanks and, and shit like that. This was the first time in my life I was ever made aware that there are fish that are the size of boats that eat people. And I was like, what <laughs> yeah. the fuck? Uh, right? Uh, it, it's funny, you know, you say Jaws 4. Uh, now, because I'm, I'm older than you, but not by much. Um, I did my, my first recollection of a Jaws movie, mine was Jaws 3 in 3D. So, you know, I got to scope that, like, and I, I remember that uh, Louis, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. is in that movie. And, yeah, uh, he and had his Randy, head... uh, Randy, or Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid. Yeah, and, and, he, and he had, a, and he got his head cut off. Francis, and I remember Francis McDormand's also in there too. Man. Really? So interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So Jaws 4 was, uh, and I, I, is it Beth, Bess Armstrong? Bess Armstrong, I think is in that movie. I'm looking this up because I, I want to know how close I am to that movie was 87 that came out is that her name Bess armstrong who is marty mcfly's mom played by again the chick who plays marty mcfly's mom in back to the future uh she had that tv show for a little while too in the mid 90s that sitcom oh uh Evil thompson Woman. um yeah what was her why am i why am i drawing a blank there come on i i i, I we're gonna have to look at lugal oh mr belvedere's uh yeah, here we go. <laughs> Mr. Belvedere's got my back right now. Um, yeah, his mom was uh, Le Leah Thompson. Leah, Leah Thompson. Thompson. Yeah, she's Leah also Thompson. in it. Like, it actually had like a bunch of like the uh, high profile celebrities in it. Man, it was so funny. Like back in like because Jaws is such a, a profound and obviously the the start of the blockbuster era of the seventies. But what's interesting more about it is is kind of like how psych what happened to Psycho, and it was this. Just onslaught of of just mitigated shit after oh, shit. Oh, totally. Fucking like sequel. The shark keeps getting bigger. By Jaws four, the shark's <laughs> like an aircraft carrier. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's almost like, eating like the submarines. Meg. Yeah. It's so totally, totally. Like the first one is the definitive shark, you know, horror thriller film. Like nothing, anything that's ever came after that has barely come close to it. There are a couple good ones out there, like uh, the Reef is a really good one that's based on a right. true story. Um, 
and, and that one does the same thing with the tension buildups where you don't really see the shark. But then when you do see the shark, it's actual shark footage and it's done in a way where you can see from a distance. It's done in a perspective manner where you can see how easily they camouflage themselves within the within the ocean. So all of a sudden you're looking, you can't see anything. And then all of a sudden it's just like boom, it just appears and you're like, holy shit. And it's just this gigantic right. monster, right? <laughs> like not that sharks are monsters. I love them. I think they're demonized by Hollywood. But oh, yeah, I, I know. We yeah, we. I, adv- I advocate for them and uh, I think they're an amazing species and we need them. Apex predator in charge of the largest ecosystem on the planet. So um, need those guys around, but yeah, I love, I love shark films. I'll watch anything ridiculous except for the Sharknados. I've watched like every shitty B rate film. I, I do want to, I I'm going to be completely honest with everybody. I, so I, I checked out the, uh, just the reboot of the uh, BH 90210 because it was the summertime when it came out and I, I did grow up in the nineties uh, and I had Brandon uh, or Jason Priestley hairstyle. So I had to see what was going on, but interesting that in that, in that show, Ian Ziering is, like he was one of the oldest people on that show at the time. He was in his thirties. The guy is like 57. Now he looks amazing, but more importantly, Sharknado has grossed $4 billion. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I know. am not fucking you in that. Well, they, they've made five films and now there's another one coming out. My buddy just tagged me in this video the other day. It's called sky sharks. It's literally this premise is flying Nazi shark zombies. And like, it's, it's, it's all like, so, so, you know, I think this is what happens after Hollywood's remade and sequeled and prequeled and rebooted every single thing that they thought was going to be a hit that flopped. And then we get stuck with sky sharks, flying Nazi shark zombies. Do, do, uh, so really, I'm a follow up on that, but uh, I want to correct something. So <laughs> any of my uh, listeners, uh, that one guy that is listening, uh, Bess Armstrong was in the third Jaws movie. She was not in the fourth. Um, so it's interesting because, Michael Caine was in the fourth, and so was oh, the, uh, My, the Michael Caine. Michael Caine, ha, hello, oh, hey. I am Michael hello. Caine. I'm Michael Caine. <laughs> um, the, the the little girl who's in that film is also the voice of uh, was it Littlefoot or Ducky from Land Before Time? She's the oh. girl whose father ended up murdering her. Uh, oh, yeah, you, just to, to end that one on a high note. No, I, I, I don't want to. I just don't want to. Like, do you think we're we've seen the end, or like, are we really on the tail end right now before it resurges again in 15 years of zom- of the zombie? Um, I guess uh, the zombie um, phase that or the fad that was happening. I mean, Walking Dead was an, a huge, um, a huge show. I mean, it was it was you know. Uh, you know, widely popular critics loved it. Everybody loved it. Um, but you know, after about the, you know, sixth season, seventh season, um, and I think everybody has that definitive point. And when everybody stopped watching that show, I know I do. Um, but it's not as popular. I mean, this is the last season for it. They they realize they've really you know dragged this on way too long. Do you, do you, are we done with zombies right now? Do we? Is is that how Hollywood works? Do they go through these little like, you know, zombies are cool for the first these 10 years. And then we get into we had Twilight and vampires and shit were running around for a while. What, what, are, you, what are you thinking? Uh, I think that the zombie thing is probably here to stay, to be honest with you. I don't think it's going anywhere. It, it, it kind of always was around as it was just way more culty before. Right. You know what I mean, like the Romero has been around since the late 60s pumping these things out. And then, you know, the the reboot came in early 2000s, 2004, I think, of Dawn of the Dead. And it changed the way we thought zombies operated as far as their motor functions were concerned. These were fast zombies that chased you at full tilt and like were savage and right. all of, you know, all their fibers twitching and going. So that yeah, was uh, Zach, Zach Snyder did that. Yeah. And, and it it. it was it? I was actually unaware of that fact. So. Yeah, Zack Snyder did uh, the the remake. Uh, that was the shopping mall one, right? That well, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So there you go. Yeah, so that was Zack Snyder. That was his uh, one of his first kicks. Uh, I liked major it. Motion picture. I liked it. I, I thought it was. I thought I, it was great. The opening, the whole opening, beginning of it was uh, was really well done. I remember being in the theater for it and being like, "Fuck yeah!" I also think it proves my point. Then I said that uh, Zack Snyder does really good work when he has an adapted source material to go off of, and so the fact that it was a remake yeah, proved my point. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> at no, least no. at least for today. I know no, you're right. Not proving it to you, just. Any of these fuckers out there that maybe thought that was 
<laughs> like he he can't swim by himself. He can't swim alone. He either needs someone holding his hand or a life vest, floaties or something. But he can't he can't just manage it manage it all by his lonesome. You're you're definitely he, right on that. Yeah. No, that was uh, and I think maybe because of, of streaming services today and and the way movies are brought to us. I, yeah, I think you're right when it comes to you said zombies are here to stay and this because because i think the audience there's enough audience for all sorts of every uh genre that you're looking for nowadays well totally and and the thing is is that now you've got a whole bunch of generations that have like been kind of instilled with this as a as a huge dominating aspect of the horror genre like basically right now comparatively speaking to to earlier eras you know the slasher film dominated for the longest fucking time we're talking decades right. of the right now we're seeing the paranormal and and we're seeing the zombie aspect of things um so like they're the another film that's supposedly in the can and is supposed to be released in 2021 is uh world war z2 so you know and then there was uh there was actually another one that i liked because the zombies are, are a neat thing to do because you can cross premise just like you do with sci-fi you can have sci-fi horror you can have sci-fi action sci-fi comedy sci-fi thriller you know you can take sci-fi right. and sub-genre the shit out of sci-fi uh, right. And, right and a lot of and a lot of zombie movies were doing that too there's zombie comedies obviously we know Sean totally and Dad, and, exactly and, and, and there's rom-coms with it too and all overlord that kind of overlord and, was the world war ii zombie film and it was actually really fun and i thought it was great it was like the premise of hitler doing these experiments and unknowingly creating zombies and now you know americans have stumbled uh, paratroopers stumble across nazi zombies like that's awesome uh, right i actually wa always wanted a tv show um roughly around the, the same uh, genre of friends but set around the zombie apocalypse and and i didn't want the, the zombies <laughs> I, I really did and i didn't want the zombies to be the the star of the show i think it would just be great to have a, a bunch of actors and and like so all these characters are sitting around much like they used to do in in friends the new york lofts but just to leave to go get food for all their friends it, it's a, it's just hit and miss and it's just not really thinking about you know joey going down there and might not come back or if is, he does come back he's tattered and torn up he's right and, he's and panting. I thought, but, but you don't want you don't want the zombies to be like the complete part of that show it's really still about the characters but just knowing that outside of this of these walls is is zombie i i thought that was an interesting concept uh maybe one day i'll get that to film but, i think uh, that's awesome it's it's like total recall in the sense of the threat was inside of the workings of mars but the threat was also the outside of mars looming too right right, right. you know what that's a i want to go back to total recall um at schwarzenegger version there's only i love one. that there is and, only one there when is it only comes one. to a Schwarzenegger film and then Schwarzenegger remakes, there's only one film and it's the Schwarzenegger version of that film. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, that one was, uh, you know, it was very, it was really cool back in the nineties when that was going to be, because special effects, again, we were, we were still just on the, on the light touches the surface of, of using computer generated images. That's to, right. Everything else was tangible shit like squibs and you know actual right. stuff and taking risks and stuff. There would be splatter that actually hit the lens. It wasn't CGI. It was actually squibs exploding what looked like yeah, blood squibs, onto the camera. And you know, it's I totally agree. And you know, back in the day, they used to trash vehicles in movies and TV shows weekly. And blow and, up and, buildings, right? Die Hard and, and Three, then, the opening scene, Die Hard Three, they blow up a building middle of downtown, and they and actually was, blew the shit up. It was the first time too. Is like when Gone in sixty seconds, the remake with Nicolas Cage and Angelina Jolie came out. I think that came out in like two thousand, two thousand one. And I'm just I'm spitballing here. Um, and maybe we'll get Belvedere to look that up. But what I found interesting about that whole thing is when I realized all the big car crashes and the stunts and shit, they were all CGI, and. I thought, fuck you guys for making me spend, you know, 15 bucks to see this piece of shit movie. You like you can't be that protective of those vehicles in see, this particular move. Fuck that. I, I only saw that film when it first came out. It, I had car movies. I'm like, whatever. I only liked it for Vinny, the one fight scene that Vinnie Jones has where he uses his forehead to break a guy's fist, you know, when he throws it out of his face. Other than that, I never watched it well enough to actually know that that was a thing, that those were actually CGI explosions. But yeah, that is when they do it sneakily like that, I don't like that because it's like seeing what they can get away with and how much they can trick the public into what's real and what's not, right? But what I hate about it too is that they actually CGI'd the cars. And, and that, and like, 
that, that's just a, that's such a fucking. You feel it's a cheapskate move, don't you? That, that, it, 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 come <laughs> you feel on, it's a it's cheapskate a, move. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a Hollywood fucking blockbuster. The least you could do is destroy a real fucking car. And, they, and I mean, they knew it wasn't gonna, fa- they knew it was gonna be successful. They're like, we can't hey, look, blow these cars. That's like look, the Paul, whole budget. Paul Walker did it for free. Whoa! <laughs> and that's the that's second that's the second week and uh, uh second time in a week that I made a Paul <laughs> Walker think, joke. And I know how you feel about running scared, so it's like you you've got a real hard on. Yeah, yeah. and not the running scared with Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal, which clearly, was clearly not. Right, clearly not. None of you fuckers out there right now are understanding what we're talking about. <laughs> no. You're like running scared with Billy Crystal, Chicago what Cubs. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it it. it I was running through like the nice thing about diving through Netflix and all these Disney plus right now. So I'm into, I'm into the Mandalorian. I've been one, this is my set. Uh, the second season just came out and I'm on episode five. And um, I will honestly say this, like pretty much star Wars for myself um, outside of the originals. They never, they never capture me. The, the prequels are garbage and, and these remakes they just, what bugged me about the remakes really quickly is, they, I think they blatantly fucked it up because I, I think it gives them a chance to remake it again. And what I mean by that is they honestly, they went into it with no scripts for a whole storyline. They, 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 they made the storylines as the movies w- were created. And, Building and the I, plane as they were flying. Uh, fucking right. And, and, and well, I've heard that before. And what pisses me <laughs> off about that shit is that, I mean, you can say what you will about George Lucas and Star Wars and stuff, but okay, but he, he has but, no but neck, he, and only the good, uh, the only good Star Wars are the first Star Wars. There, I right, and his hair, and his hair looks plastic. But, but the weird thing is, is that he did have a vision. And he had a story to tell. <laughs> I'm sorry, his hair looks plastic. Uh, it that does. Amazing. Right? It really, it actually, it looks like Lego hair. It's like Lego yeah, hair. No, like, hey, what was that? Uh, what was that band that made Hyman. everybody? Yeah, the Energizer, because it, it yes. was the Energizer uh, commercials from back in the day, or the Duracell yeah. commercials back in the day had those. Right, it was almost very pieces. Max Hedrum-y, um, you know, of, totally. the, of the way they, the plastic look. Winona's that, big brown beaver, man. Oh, thank you. That's, I knew you're. <laughs> that's yeah. what, Neo G. That's why you're here. Um, so, as, as, so I'm not a huge uh, Star Wars aficionado, like like most. No, I, I, you're right. A great story, a great moral, and there's actually some very profound, you know, um, philosophy behind it. Like Yoda as a character, and 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 the type of of uh, you know like a code that he has it's actually really really awesome and it's it's very deep in that regard so i think you're right it is a great story like well you know, and it's and it's a simple underdog, story and it's a underdog. simple story and it's designed around children and 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 i want to focus on that because um all the prequels and all that shit got into you know uh trade disputes and and you know like <laughs> talking about like political you know stripes between Galactical planets and, shit. and, and, and nobody gave a shit but more importantly, though, I've been watching The Mandalorian, and it goes back. It's a harking back to the really simple storylines of the very first Star Wars. And John Favreau obviously is it helms this. The special effects on this show are are, are unbelievably like they're perfect. They're they're not over the top, so it it takes over the show. The stories it's a streamlined story. Um, they're very they are very um, video game ish, where each each episode is. He has to complete a task to get to something, and then he and and we've seen that a lot more in movies nowadays. Yeah, it's like a video game. That's what it is. It's, it's each a episode is a level. It's like that's, a level in a video. Exactly, game. and I don't know like where that's coming from. Of like these, this uh, they create these storylines where you know you uh, and J.J. Abrams is the worst for it. He he's the one that started this. Um, he did it in Lost. and he carried it through most of the TV shows and movies that he did. And that is, he creates a little MacGuffin. And they and, and he all he needs the characters to do just to move the story along is they have to go and get this thing to retrieve this thing to come back. And and it has nothing to do with actually the story, but he needs to it's called it's fucking filler. Well, I I just want to go back to you saying a little MacGuffin. Um <laughs> that, come that, on, everyone knows what MacGuffin that, is. That, like, a little MacGuffin. Wow. I mean, that's a throwback, my man. That's like <laughs> That was nostalgic to hear, uh, possibly he, because I've never heard it before, and I don't know what the fuck it meant. A MacGuffin? <laughs> what is? Please explain to me what a MacGuffin is. 
A MacGuffin is a is a plot device used. That's what they call it. It's a MacGuffin, and it's a plot device used to to carry a story along. It doesn't really have anything to do with the story, but it furthers the the motivations behind it. Uh, Pulp Fiction, the the uh, the suitcase is a MacGuffin. It's it's, it's just like a, this question. It's just like the question. It's, what it's is just like this question. Is, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, this question has merit. Um, so. Mandalorian is on uh, Netflix or Disney. Sorry. Actually, I have a friend. I have a friend, Chris, and he's been because we had this. I had a conversation with him on the phone and he was telling me about the Mandalorian and I was kind of dismissive because I was like, you know what? I haven't been into Star Wars like I'm not I'm not feeling it. He's like, honestly, dude, he's like Favreau's doing an amazing job with this right now. And he he recommended it. So with you, with you, with you, with your verification on that, like I'm, I'm, I'm very, my interest is peaked. Yeah, it it is. It is a, again, they, they're harking back to the actual feeling you had when you were first watched Star Wars. Um, These are, these are simple storylines, but the excitement's there. There's a lot, there's a lot of energy and, and childlike play that comes into all of these episodes. So having said that, um, what's interesting though is on the Mandalorian, um, it, which is streaming on Disney, is that they released three episodes. There's there's like eight or ten episodes over the given course of the season, but they released three, and then you got to wait. And the one thing that I always appreciated, and and it's a double edged sword. There's one thing I appreciated about streaming services, which was. In the modern era, they dumped all the shows on you. Binge watching. Yeah, you appreciate a binge watch. I do appreciate a good binge watch. But there I think is we a all love a good binge watch because but, it makes it like a really extra long, awesome, kick ass movie, right? Like, right. Like when you're watching, like for me, like when I binged Ozark, man, uh, binging one season at a time was like, right. you know, within a day, it was like, I just spent like a day watching a really awesome, intriguing movie that had all these plot points that kept me hanging throughout. You know what I mean? Like where you're not like, it's not just build up, build up, build up to a plot twist. Like you get like one movie, you get like a, maybe a couple of plot twists, right? With one, with one film, you get like maybe one or two, sometimes three plot twists with a series, man. We're talking like they're throwing one every episode at you, you know, well, usually. Absolutely. And the thing was like, I grew up in the seventies and eighties where I, 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 everything was episodic and it was every, every, every week I had to, I had to wait to see if like what's going to happen um, to the $6 million man, or maybe I'm watching fall guy or whatever it is. I had to, I had to wait every week. Now the thing with the seventies and eighties television shows for the most part was everything was literally episodic one story in, in that episode. Like there Wrapped was no up in a nice little bow within exactly. 30 minutes. And, and, and there was no actual continuation of anything that happened to that character to, from the, 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 the previous week. It's like, and danger so you Bay. Could, do you remember right. Danger Bay? Like yeah. All the, all the shit they would get into within a one episode period. And then like next episode, they're just like walking around like, hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Like, what, well, you guys killed six people just last week. What are you talking about? Right. Uh, it was, uh, you know, A-Team was very much like that. I mean, you know, they go through all this stuff. Totally. And then and then it's almost like they do not acknowledge that they just did something last week. Uh, and most of the shows back in that era were very much like that. I mean, they're just like, you know, um, but interesting now is that all these shows that they like that we have on streaming and the way the TV's presented nowadays, we can have all this dumped on us. But the downfall I'm finding with these large uh, shows getting dumped on us and we can binge watch is that I also have to wait a year and a half for the next fucking season to come out. That's exactly how I feel about Better Call Saul. And it's nerve wracking. It's, it, it, it's, it's you, troublesome when you're tied into it, when you're, when you, when you're, when you're caught, when it's hooked you, it, it leaves you fiending. And yeah, when you don't have that weekly dose, you, you're not, not, you're not weaned off of it. Right. Like, right. And crashed, I, I, I want to clarify something. Season. I want to clarify something really quick. I just so everyone doesn't think I'm a whiny fucking bitch. I'm not complaining it's because I don't have that. a, a tr- tr- yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, it's not, I'm not complaining because I don't have a show to watch. What happens is, they dump a show and and I watch it, but then they don't release a, a, a season for like close to two two years, and I honestly forget anything that happened in the first season. That's that's and, a good point, because- and, and that's what I hate. Now I have to go back, and I almost feel like I should just wait till the whole show has captured its run. You know, I've I've done that with a couple already. Um, right. Like like I've actually done that with like like True Detective and things like that, which is awesome because each season is his own kind of independent story and storyline. So yeah, it, it works well that way, right? But 
I, I I totally get what you're saying. Before, when we had weekly doses, you had something to look forward to. It lasted you, you know, an entire season, and then you were able to, you know, ride out the rest with, you know, other shows. Now that we have, uh, you know, infinite access to stream almost everything, we're watching, you know, two, three. Some people are watching four, five, and six different series at a time, binging yeah. them, Guilty. because you know. And then and then what happens is when you're waiting two years, like I was watching. I think I was I was watching like three at once because there was three that I was really into. Um, there were there were like stalker ones. One was called You, and the other one, yeah, was, yeah. The other one was uh, an Eric Bana one. The first season, then it turned into a, another a Christian Slater in the second season. I can't remember for the life of me. Uh, oh, interesting. Belvedere. It's on Netflix, but um, uh, Dirty John. That's what it is. Dirty John. Right. I right. Um, so like these are these are good programs. Like I liked You. But here's the thing, like, you know, you, you, I've binged the first two seasons. Now it's been since forever. But if they ever come back with a third season, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to even remember, like, some of these shows, because you're watching so many at, you know, at once, once they've stopped and you've stopped, it's like you forget that you were even interested in them by the time another season comes out. That's a solid point. And you know what? It's funny you said Dirty John, because I saw the first. So that's based on a real. Like yeah, they're true stories. That was a true story. Kristen Slater's and, in the second one. The second uh, what season. What the fuck? I see. And I didn't even know there was a, and I didn't know there was a second season. And this is. All more to the point that much like you said, because you forget uh, that you were even involved in it. You're like, oh, I, yeah, shit. Right. I started I was getting into several shows all around the same time. Um, there was uh, Dead to Me with Christina Applegate. Yeah. I was starting into HBO's amazing show Succession. Um, and, and and you start going down this rabbit hole of uh, Goliath with Billy Bob Thornton. You go down the rabbit hole of the shows. And then I, now I'm on the waiting and now with COVID uh, and shows are having a hell of a time just even finishing production. Mm-hmm. I'm going to really have to go back into probably the least last couple episodes of certain shows of the seasons to, to just to bone up. Re- so, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite annoying. And what I, what I found with <laughs> it is, it is actually a pain in the ass. It is. And so, it's forcing you to watch everything again and again. Right, you know. <laughs> and you know how I feel about rep, 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 Oh fuck, I can't even say it now. <laughs> repetition, repetition, <laughs> repetition, repetition. You know how I feel about repetition. Ensemble Repe- cast, ensemble <laughs> cast, ensemble cast. Uh, it, it's. I find that so even what what uh, the Mandalorian in season two is doing, they're dumping three or four on us. Then you have to wait a couple of weeks. And it, and it harks me back to then the the days of the 70s and 80s and 90s when everything was episodic and I'm waiting and I well, still see, don't Favreau like that. Favreau gets that, right? Like Favreau totally came up in that era. He's 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 like one of those guys. So I think I like it's interesting that he's behind, you know, something like this that you're describing. I find that actually really cool. I've always I've, I've always had a, a little soft spot for Favreau. I think he's a great writer and and and. And and to his credit, and much as I take a shit on Marvel movies, um, like you know the Iron Man movies and how he ironed them out, <laughs> ironed them out. Um, but you know he did like he's a he's a good writer. <laughs> he's a good he's a good writer. Um, he's a good director. I think he's got a, a lot of talent. Um, you know the thing with Marvel is they do more awful movies than they do good movies. That's true. And, and 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 it's the it's they the remake big... their own movies like <laughs> multiple times. The Hulk right. has been remade like four times. But... I know we've had eight Spider-Man movies, and the thing is, when you have a really good Marvel movie, it's it's easy to go, "Wow, you guys are re-, like you know." I'll, I'll admit, I like the Avengers Endgame uh, movies. I thought the the other two Captain America ones were good, but by and large, when you start adding all these extra heroes and they're doing these you know, own stories and stuff like that. They don't interest me. The movies aren't that good. Like they're not hitting, they're not hitting 500. Well, and then, and then we've got to also chalk up to, you know, a bunch of CGI. Like my, I, I'm not against CGI, but it's like pick a lane with CGI, either use it in nuances or just go all out with it. You and I have discussed that before, but because it almost sometimes it just feels sinister to me and and and, and I, because it's like it's like trickery like let's see what we can slip past the public where they won't notice like the difference between what's real and what's completely absolutely digital and uh see blood blood I, diamond just i'm getting to yeah, a point okay, here because yeah, um blood diamond was an is an example of that jennifer Connolly, um 
there's the end scene where Leonardo DiCaprio's character is on the on the satellite phone with her. He's dying on the top of the the mountain there after being shot, and they're basically having a goodbye thing. And they had told her prior to filming the scene because it calls for in the script for a single tear to roll down her cheek as she's speaking on the phone with him. And they're like, and she's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, all right, I'll do that. And they're like, oh, you don't have to worry about doing that. We're just going to CGI that tear in. And she was like, <laughs> she was like, what the fuck? She's like, uh, her, her, her response to it, like from this interview that I saw her in was, she was like, there was the day that I almost contemplated quitting acting, like where I wanted to quit acting because she told them, she's like, I'm an actor. This is what I do. Like, I can do that. Why? Like, that's what you're paying me for. And they, they literally would not allow her to really cry a single tear it was they had to cgi it so like you know like that's the kind of shit that's 2007 and that's 2007 like you know it reminds me it reminds me of an older story where sir Lawrence olivier told uh he basically told dustin hoffman in the movie marathon man um so in, in the movie marathon man dustin hoffman he has to look like he's been up all night and he's going going through all the struggles. He's been sleep deprived and he and he's losing his mind and stuff like that. And so Dustin Hoffman, um, you know, puts him through himself through all the paces. Literally keeps himself all, all up at night. Sleep deprives himself and he comes to the set and he starts doing this scene. And Lawrence Olivier looked at him and just said, "Why don't you just act?" <laughs> Like I thought it was oh, wow. so great. <laughs> Instead of just like you're gonna put yourself through all these bases, and Sir Lawrence Olivier is just like, look, man, what you you know you can you can just act. You can act like you're sleep deprived. Why do you why do you have to sleep deprive yourself no, to do no this shit. fucking that's thing? Like, that's like that's probably similar to the conversation Brad Pitt had with Shia LaBeouf on Fury. Like you don't have to not shower for two weeks and stink to the point of me wanting to beat you up. Yeah. You can just pretend in your head that you stink really bad. Yeah, you know what? Met- there's, there's a certain thing with method acting that, that works, and and then sometimes it's like, look, you didn't need to method act for that. But I, to to go back to your to your point about the CGI, I'm I'm in awe of people that use CGI, and I don't know you used it. I hate when you use CGI, and I and you and I blatantly know you did. David Fincher in the movie Zodiac, he used CGI for the entire background of San Francisco for the '60s and '70s. I thought it was it's seamless. I, I oh, didn't yeah. even know, but I, and I didn't know that at the time. So when I, when I found out and I went back and watched it, I was blown away by how like it, it was just part of the film. And I love, that's the trickery I do like. See, and, and, and for me, I, that's where like a line gets blurry for me. Like when I, my first like real like wow moment was when I saw what they had at green screen for Wolf of Wall Street for their backgrounds and their and their scenes for a lot of things. And I was like, oh, my God, like like the whole mansion, it was a green screen and they're like walking inside of it. I'm just like, what? And it's seamless and you couldn't tell. And that's when I was just kind of like, OK, like there's a difference between that for me, because that's like. Now we're now we're now we're taking reality and bridging it with the matrix. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And and, and it, so there's there's that, and then there's something like what what Home Alone did. They didn't film, you know, that that moot film in a big giant awesome kick ass house in Chicago. No, it was a not. set. It was a tiny set that they built solely for the movie to fit all these little like props and everything. So everything you see that looks like it's being filmed inside a house, it was a set design that was done in a pool, uh, in a drained pool in the in in, in a high school. So, so when you're, when you're looking, when you're looking at that film, it's just outside shots of a house that's being represented by set design done inside of a pool in the drained pool in the middle of a high school. And see, I think that's unique because it's still a tangible, real thing. Like I should be accepting that with my eyes as reality, but now, now it's at a point where I can't tell the difference. And like, is that person on the TV well, screen, my prime minister, is that person, well, and I think you know, or president or, you know, whomever. And I think like, what we might be, I think what we might be debating here. And, and I, like, I know what you're saying. I, I see no reason to green screen a mansion. I, I can understand if you're doing a period piece, that it's a lot easier to formulate the background for that time period that is definitely harder to achieve, especially with architecture and the way the cars and stuff like getting, setting all that stuff up for a movie that's completely set in that time. CGI seems to be the right route. But then when you're kind of going, look, you're also making a modern day movie and you're, you got a CGI, you know, half like whether it's the mansion or the yacht that he's on, you know, you're, yeah. I mean, what, why can't, why can't you find a mansion? 
Well, when I like and, and the other thing is like there's always locations for this stuff to happen. Like when you're when you're looking at the amount of landscape on North America and the different kinds of uh environments you can create with those like from from Florida to Alaska um and everything in between it and and mountains and rockies and flat prairie and and you know grand canyons and rivers and canals and tropics and palm trees and tundra and 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 igloos you you can you can do it all i mean when we had films back in the day yes obviously sets and sets design were a real big part of those and, and especially in the early days uh with universal studios and things like that doing things with with the old you know black and white time the old timey films and all of that shit but when you're when you're when you're looking at films like uh, again I'll use Once Upon a Time in America, they were able to film and capture you know early 1900 19th century rather and Prohibition era New York simply by finding those places in New York where that architecture nice. still existed, and Absolutely. then it, you know and then just bring in the right equipment and and a lot of those films that stand the test of time. Because here's the thing, after a while, like like in The Irishman, I could tell that Pesci, and it wasn't for not, you know, it wasn't for me knowing that Pesci's not as young as he is in the film and trying to portray him. Right. It was that I could tell that that's not how people's faces actually move when 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 they're, you know, when people's faces move, like that fakeness will never come as real as like what? a still background. You know what, what? I mean? Right. Like, like, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's one thing. Okay. If you want to do seamless stuff with the background, that's fine. But then you're CGIing Joe Pesci's face and trying to pass that off as like the real deal. And, and for me, I have more of appreciation for set design and makeup artistry and people being able to act like they are where they are. Um, because you know, there's been a certain amount of effort taken in when you're mentioning things like, you know, set design and all the, you know, to grab all these old, you know, antiques from these eras to create that, that right there shows a level of appreciation, you know, for, for what it would take to, to create all that. And when we start cutting the corners on things, but then those corners become these, these seamless things, I just, I lose well, an appreciation much, but, back. For sure. And, but much like we were talking about, you know, in our, uh, you know, Hollywood is dead episode, you know, a lot of it is budget restraints. I totally. mean, to, 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 and, and, you know, we both know it's cheaper now to, a days to achieve this kind of stuff on computer than it is to, uh, you know, uproot an entire San Francisco neighborhood to make it look like the 1960s. <laughs> but um, they're already uprooted San Francisco neighborhood. <laughs> so what's growing up? What was the, what was the, wait, as wait, a kid, wait, what we, we did that. You did that. I don't know if I did that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I think I was always this age. <laughs> like my um, body's gotten older. I don't know if my brain has. <laughs> <laughs> did, what, what movie when you were a kid, did you change your perception on special? Why does I, I smell like I'm, I sound like I'm James Gandolfini eating pasta dinners over here. It's like, I'm breathing like, you know, like he did in the Sopranos. I thought that was me. No, it's it's sorry. It's like I've been hitting the bung too much. Lately. No, it's like I'm. Yeah, I feel like I'm fucking. You know, Tony Soprano. Like you know, eating <laughs> a fucking cannoli. Um, what, what was the movie for you that like at the youngest part of your of uh, your youth that you watched a movie and you were like, um, you, you the, love the special effects. effects. Rad. You, you were just like, yeah, where you were like, holy shit, this is it for me. Um. I've got, I've got two right now. The, the okay. first one, so they're for different reasons. Sure. Um, the first one was something that you knew, like, and here's, and this is probably why I like the distinction between reality and special effect, um, was Terminator 2. T-1000, liquid metal. Like back in the day when that came out, there was the abyss and then there was that. Yeah, right. and, yeah. and, and like those special effects, man, people were like, whoa, what the hell? Like that was crazy, man. That like that create that that made a change that created a change. It like James Cameron's kind of known for that, much like his work with Avatar that created and instituted a change in special yeah, effect. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then and then my second film would be Jurassic Park, man. Um, the realism, the, the actual call. the realism of the dinosaurs and, and the fact that they were blue screening a lot of that stuff, too. But then using like, you know, animatronics and and, and just it was just a classic Spielberg um special effects you know adventure story and he's great at that when you're when you're looking at good directors for special effects for me steven spielberg and james cameron like those are those are two of the top guys in my opinion because they also come from an era where again the special effects were the more tangible kind you had to work a little harder man i mean and i don't i'm not trying to minimize or take away from no no graphic, 
graphic designers or, or you know computer anima- uh, animators or anything like that. I know it's a uh, time consuming and difficult job. It's not easy. I definitely couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Um, without some sort of schooling or, or whatever that everyone else has to go through. But um, when when I'm looking at the amount of, of time and effort and how many, you know, the, the, the people that are involved to create these realistic looking makeup dinosaurs that also mechanically move and are operated by joysticks and other people and like air and, and, and electric. And it's just like, wow, man, like that's innovative, mechanical, cool, awesome construction to me, you know? There was a, like when Terminator 2 came out and you know what? It still holds up very, very well today. The, the, those effects they like they they were quite i still love the scene where he's he's the floor man he's the checkered floor and then he just comes up and then stabs buddy in the eye with his finger and then be like after becoming him and i was like that to this day that is still a really awesome very well done cgi'd scene in my opinion that's so growing up for myself um i have to say uh bridges uh, of madison county with uh, oh sorry <laughs> Wait, what? Are, what are we talking about? My um, girl, the bee stings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The bee stings of my girl. <laughs> um, so I, I'll go with two as well. Um, I'm gonna say uh, '78 um, Superman, okay. uh, which was uh, you know back then. To you know, one of the blue hardest things. Well, absolutely. But one of the hardest things they had to achieve again, without going to that 1966 campy Batman. Is they really? I mean, their whole premise was um, we're going to make you believe a man can fly. Yep. And yep. and you know what? For for all intents and purposes, they did an amazing job of the one thing about like say movies like Superman and seventy eight have over say two thousand one Tobey Maguire Spider Man and special effects. Now, obviously, we know that with two thousand one Spider Man, you know they they got they got uh, time on their side to to achieve better looks what they don't have though is every time that he's swinging around and stuff they're still missing a tangible weight that goes with something like having somebody fling around and stuff animated is not the same as watching an actual human get lifted off and you know there's an actual tangible weight that goes with anything that and I agree with you. And, on that, yeah. and, and, and you know, it's kind of like models. You know, like when when Star Wars used to do the models back in 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 the seventies and the eighties, you, you you felt that like those were, that was legit. The, the the details to those models until they went into CGI, and you just didn't feel there was a weight to any of the things they were driving or and, flying. And that's exactly how I feel. And that's and that's where I'm, you know my bias comes in uh, towards CGI. And I do have a bias toward it, and I can own that. I admit that. And that's because and of course. I, what I came up with when it came to special effects that again, still stand the test of time. And then when I look at movies from the early two thousands and stuff where CGI started to really take over the special effects game, those tend to not stand the test of time comparatively now. And, and I just, I feel like that's going to be a forever progressive thing till we've completely blended the two realms till they're non-distinct. And, and again, I just think that that's a bit, uh, like I think we should have those boundaries, man. I, I mean, that's that's just me, but like I just how I feel about it. Because entertainment is supposed to be entertainment. We start merging everything into real life, and now we're wearing like body suits in the theaters where we're playing the roles I, of the characters. Like it just it's gonna right. get out of and control. You get, like what is it? Smell of it. Yeah, this is storytelling. We're supposed to use our brain and our creativity for 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 part of it too, right? Like we're supposed right. to have fill interpretations, in the gaps. right, yeah, man? Like we fill in the gaps. We're not just supposed to like plug in and be like zombie, like spoon feed me the baby pablum. Like like we're, we're very we have good to point. draw conclusions. We have to be able to guess because that's what keeps the suspense and the thrill and the engagement of it all. It's not going to yeah, enthrall, I'm, you know? Like I yeah, I totally agree. I think it's one of those things that allows me to like I can appreciate a movie and. So back to the second movie I was going to choose and the good, perfect point to it. Um, so Clash of the Titans, 81. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, so, yeah, stop motion animation. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Ray Harryhausen uh, did that. Uh, but it was interesting. You watch that today and you're going to get nobody, nobody will, like nobody in today's modern era. These kids would be like, fuck this movie. This movie's stupid. And, you, and it's like the special effects are shit. But back in 81, using stop motion like that, and to achieve um, such a like a, an epic film like that, it like I was blown away as a kid. 
And that takes a lot of effort and work to do right. that, man. Like we're talking like days to get a couple <laughs> seconds or like two minutes of actual film. Yeah, right? talk about like, putting in the fucking grind. Totally, man. Like right, like and I, I was, and I appreciate I was like, that, right? Like you know, when when and I think like when films are works of art, and we take a look at art, art like when we look at like you know uh, an old man's you know Adirondack chair that he built from scratch from a tree that you know had you know it fell in his backyard on his acreage, and he decided to plane it down and chop it up and then create it. Sure, it's not the best, most comfortable or technologically advanced chair. No, it doesn't look as good as a million other chairs out there. But you know what? The craftsmanship is there you know that's a quality chair when you sit in it it's sturdy it's going to support you its function is there it does its job and you appreciate it that much more it's not this mass-produced thing that's just being you know mick made like just mick movies mick made like this is a special handcrafted gem here man yeah and i i think yeah i think you're so right and i think it gives you more appreciation when you go back and watch those movies that thinking about you know whether whether it was, you know, you had to harness a, a guy on, on, you know, on these like ropes and strings and stuff to make him fly, or you're having all these people create these models and literally taking, you know, microseconds of film to make these creatures move on the stop, stop motion animation. Like that stuff is, that's, um, but like, I will can you say, imagine, like mo- moving an arm just to get an arm moving. You're moving it like a, a millimeter, taking a picture, another millimeter, taking a picture, you know, right. I mean, you can you can skip a couple of millimeters here and there, but it depends how realistic and seamless you want this to be. So if you're trying to make an awesome movie like Clash of the Titans, we're talking like, man, we are talking time there, oh, man. You know, I also I, then there was two movies in the modern era in my in like as as I got older, more of when I was a teenager that I that I used as appreciation. Um, and one of them was uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And, <laughs> yeah, and, I love that movie. And uh, for you know, tune movie, tune real, real like that and Cool World. Like those are awesome right. fun films, man. They, like I, you know, it's funny looking back at Who Framed Roger Rabbit today. It's a very obnoxious and loud, annoying film. Like Robert Zemeckis <laughs> should be fucking shot because like watching, it, it's like okay, let's just put the volume to four. We don't need to have all this extra background noise of bullshit and the, and the gangster baby like the hey, tuts, he's got the stogie and like <laughs> right <laughs> it, you know is that's a you know that's a forgotten piece so it came out 87 and uh not you forgotten know, by me that was one of my childhood like me, that was you know that top 10 influential movies of your, yeah your that was one of mine man because that's a that's a film like i had i had an uncle um he he had two movies in his two vhs uh sets <laughs> And his Sitting entire the, thing. Right. And he, he didn't have any kids. Like him and his wife didn't have any kids. So like I came over and it's like, oh, well, what the hell do we do with this guy here? Here, here pick, pick a movie to watch. They were awesome movies. So I just watched both of them all the time. And it was Batman, Tim Burton's Batman and right. Roger Rabbit. And so like I would always I watched Batman to the point where like it wore out the tape. And so I, I came over one time and he's like, what do you want to watch? I'm like. Who framed Roger Rabbit? He's like, well, may as well. You watch Batman every other time. And then I watched that film to the point of exhaustion. And it's amazing. And then Cool World came out, which was like the the rated R version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like those, it's just tune, tune versus like, I like the bridging that gap. It's like when movies break the fourth wall and shit like that, you know, like it's, it's a great merger. Yeah. And I thought it was great back in when I was a kid, when I found out there was Disney and Warner Brothers going to work together to create this film that there was like, we're, we're going to put all our characters into one film. I thought, you know, good, good on you guys for, you know, recognizing this film needs all of that stuff. <laughs> um, like, I, I love that film. It was interesting too. you said, uh, you know, out of the two films that your uncle had, you know, Batman and you know, who framed Roger Rabbit. There's one thing about Burton's Batman that I, I always have to give credit for, and there's a lot. There's a lot at fault when you look back in hindsight, obviously. But oh uh, yeah, like but what, the, what era but, did that movie even take place in? What yeah, era yeah, was? Yeah, that? there was. Well, and and just the armchair psychology of like it was like very easy going. Like the way he portrayed Batman and how it was just like split down the middle psychology of Batman like no no complexities whatsoever going on here <laughs> outside of the fact that he slept upside down once in a while i don't know what the fuck that was about like talk about like 
the guy didn't have a, a fucking poker face. He it's has a girl. He I has Vicky wanna... Vale sleeping over, and he's laying. He's sleeping upside down. He was decompressing <laughs> his spine. That's an inversion move, and it's to decompress oh. your spine. Batman's okay. a scientist. Hello. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, is he a scientist? I haven't seen that in any of the movies yet. It checks uh, out over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, but you know what? The dialogue in Burton's Batman was memorable oh so quotable such it's a so quotable quote, it's film. such a quotable movie it you, is you, man. You, you don't get that in in most other superhero movies nowadays no and like that's that's it goes back to another thing like i miss action films with the cheesy one-liners like what happened to the dry you know savvy wit after you kill 20 guys like you know, because there's still movies out there like that that are doing these like impossible, you know, far fetched things, but then they're not actually like playing into it with any kind of fun or acknowledgement. They like they're, they're taking themselves right. too seriously. Sometimes, yeah, you know? no, that's a good point, right? <laughs> like, you know, you gotta gotta have a couple quick, uh, quick uh, whips with it. You gotta be able like, to say something. Totally, man. Like when 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 Jack Nicholson's Joker is electrocuting Buddy with a with a hand with a hand buzzer there, and he's like, ooh. <laughs> like, yeah, over here. Yeah, ooh, I got a live one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like that's hilarious. You know well, what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. And you know, never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know what? If you watch that, like none of those Joker quotes make any sense. <laughs> you danced with the devil in the pale moonlight. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but very quotable film. Very quotable film. So then the the other movie of the modern era for myself would would be and i agree with you jurassic park when that movie came out i knew we turned a corner on where films were going to be going absolutely you know and for me that like spielberg has a habit of doing that he actually he's actually pretty awesome when it comes to doing that he did that with jaws he did that with et you know he did that with so many films he, he did that with jurassic park he did that with saving private ryan as far as how war films went about depicting the reality of of what you know carnage from bullets looks like man like an mg42 it's not a pretty thing you know a 20 millimeter cannon blasting you it's not a pretty thing and, and films right. did not, films did not capture that before um so he brings this level of of he does his best to convince you that what's taking place is reality for the characters that are involved in it and in order for that to be perceived we have to see it almost as real as they do yeah the characters themselves i mean right so yeah, absolutely he, yeah he, ha he has this really he has this really innate ability to just bring that forth his vision like as a director i think that's what makes him just so so uh you know monumental is just that he has that ability to go well like because in the 70s man like jaws scared the shit out of people like people didn't yeah. want to go in their bathtubs after that movie people were afraid to shower yeah you know i mean yeah like, it was a it, yeah it was a cultural kind of movement with uh like it created a wave of really fucking scared created a wave of panic over sharks people were starting to call sharks left right and center it actually contributed to a huge decline in shark populations around the world i imagine um, it was a, it was just a big big thing of panic but, you know, as, as, as horrible as that was and as horrible as that, you know, in, in that regard, that film is for contributing to that kind of a narrative. It was unintentional. Um, it's actually based on a, on a real event that, that took place in New Jersey. And I believe it was 1912 around there, around that time, um, where a rogue shark came in through like this small little creek that was, you know, from from an ocean and within a span of a week had killed five people. Um, and it was simply because people just refused to believe that, like, no, a shark's not yeah, right. here. Like, yeah, you know, so that's what that's what Peter Benchley was like. Well, what about a shark that just, you know, it, it attacks someone? Like, because we we well, throughout history, sharks attack people. And he was like, well, what about a shark that attacks someone and just won't go away? So it's unintentional that it created it, but it speaks to the caliber of directing that he had in the vision that he had, that people were actually like, holy shit, this is a problem. <laughs> like, could you imagine if Jurassic Park had that impact and people were just like starting yeah. to go to zoos and kill all the Komodo dragons? And <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, no, it was, and I think you're right too. Um, Spielberg, obviously, you know, he's, he's one of the, the pioneers of, of moving uh, film 
the modern film into um, and tying it into special effects the way that it, I mean, they all happen so uh, harmoniously. You know what I mean? Totally. It's, uh, it's like and, he sets a it's like he sets a grade for for that kind of that kind of stuff. Well, and I feel he, like Kubrick was a guy back in his day, like for Kubrick's era. And we're not talking crazy special effects, but like the the gang fight scene in a Clockwork Orange. That was really, really awesome. You didn't really see in a lot of films like chairs and tables and glass busting over people's heads, dudes jumping off of stages on top of dudes' chests. You know, like Spiel, uh, Kubrick had a lot of good special effects. Um, what was that one? Killing Me or uh, The yeah. Killing? The killing. The, the killing. Yeah. Um, Buddy gets shot in the face with, with shotgun buck. And it's this is the late 50s. And it's yeah, like 56. It's like, wow, that was like, it was well done. Like looking at the wounds and then he hits the floor. They're still bleeding. I'm like, dude, this is, this is insane. Those special effects. So there's always been like a couple of distinct, distinct ones, but, but I like how you say like he brings it into the modern fold. Yes. He does something that's like almost revolutionary with effects that catches everybody up to speed. Like all the other directors are like, they see what Spielberg does and like, Oh shit, we can do that now. Oh, okay. Well, we gotta, we gotta start figuring this out. Right. It, it was, it, it was almost seemed like Spielberg was the, he, he was the right director for the generation that, that we were growing up in. It's almost like you needed somebody with a, that, that had this idea that had these childlike ideas to present a, a story and and it's like the seventies and eighties. It's like, hey, you know, technology is working for us. I got all these grandiose ideas of what I want to do, and I don't know. It just seems like he was the he was the perfect fit for for our our generation growing up. Totally, and like you can see that in in like 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 if you were to watch the Indiana Jones movies today, they're still awesome, crazy, cool adventures, and because they take place in a you know a, a predated time like where we're talking this you know that takes place during the world war ii era pre-world war ii going into the beginning stages of world war ii it's okay that it looks a little old and it's okay that it's like you know got these kind of these tropes to it because it actually fits in even more with the era that it's trying to convey itself as being a part of so it actually works like really really well in that regard you know what i mean like when you watch these these old spielberg films they still stand a test because they're either a representative of the era in which they were made or they were representing a, an earlier era and that still comes across very well you know yeah, no absolutely it's uh indiana jones like you said I, every special effects that came off of those films I mean, they're always doing something. There's always going to be something unique and, and different in each one of those um, movies. And and you after the uh, Lost Ark and the guy's face is melting, and you know you just knew that like Temple of Doom was gonna you know kind of you know you have to beat that. And what are we gonna do? Do what are we gonna do to like gross people out? We're gonna rip that, their hearts out of the chest. Right. And, I remember and eat monkey brains. We're gonna eat monkey brains and you know eat like yeah yeah. I remember eating the big beetles and stuff like that. Um, and you know that stuff as a kid, I was I was like completely grossed out by this, but. Totally. That's, that was all the good stuff. I mean, you wanted to be grossed out. You were like, show me what you got. Like it was, it was a family action adventure film, but like it's it's weird what like was considered family adventure action films back then to what people would consider today. You know what I mean? Like, right? Yeah. Do you do, do you think there were like eat more easygoing, or do you think like how do you see it today? Because I um, like I look at the way families watch movies today. It's like, and I think you brought this up a little while ago. It's kind of like you know, kids are watching people get you know like war and stuff like that. I don't think it's as graphic as it is today. Like RoboCop is a prime example. I remember when I was a kid, I watched RoboCop and watching Murphy get his fucking hand blown off, and it, it, like I was like, "Holy fuck!" Like, that these that guys shotgun scene was crazy. I, I was like, "These guys are not fucking around." No wonder no. it's rated R. Like motherfuckers. The toxic waste <laughs> scene where Buddy's right. hit by the his head, like he he liquefies over the windshield. His head rolls up the roof of the car. Like it's just, it's like what the hell? He's melting. He's like. Like, right crazy shit crazy shit man and then yeah and then the the grossest thing that happened which was almost like an homage to robocop 2 was where they showed him like just like brain and spine you know, brain stem and spine which is what they did in robocop 2 for kane when they made the kane robot right like right it was just like it was trying to merge 
and and that's what I feel like like re reboots and remakes try to do is they try to um, compact more into it that's like all encompassing and like oh I feel like they should have went this or they left this out of that or or this part of the story out of that and I, I'd like to showcase that a little more in this film but it it ends up just being like a convoluted piece that doesn't actually showcase the things that we appreciated about the original which okay, are things yeah. like the hardcore violence and like right. the, you know the, the 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 social commentary and satirical so, shit right so do you think it's more violent like you, we were talking about like family movies and we're you know, from Indiana Jones do you think like we're they're seeing more violence but this is maybe not as graphic the, it, yes like i, I like it's okay, cartoony so, isn't it that's what I mean. And, 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 and that's, and I, and again, I think that's like the representation of, for me, like the tangible special effects versus the CGI special effects. I can tell CGI blood splatter yeah. and like in CGI, like, you know, body parts and brain matter and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Because now, because we live in this era, like a lot of us, I feel we look for those telltale signs and what we're watching. And then if we can't spot it, we're like, oh, that was really well done. And then if we can spot it, we're like, oh, yeah, but, you know, you could tell like for me, even with the Irishman, I'm like that, like, oh, well, Joe Pesci's face, you know, where they're at the hood of the car talking like, come on, you know what I mean? Right. But then but then Wolf of Wall Street happens and I'm like, wow, like, you know, so it's it's these things where we're trying to look for things that aren't even necessarily there. And I almost feel like it's a distraction point. So. Rather than acknowledging like how cool it was that, you know, Murphy's hand got obliterated and blood hit the fucking lens. And oh, my God, did you see the look on his face when it happened and like the smoke off his body now? Because those are real results of things actually taking place. Someone who's right. doing a someone who's doing a computer program, he might miss like, oh yeah, I guess if he got shotgun with all those like hot burning pieces of fucking pellet, smoke would be coming off his body. So they might forget to add that little point of realism. So therefore, it becomes kind of cartoony and kind of not as real as we would expect it to be. And then we lose that graphic aspect that makes us go, holy shit, you know. Well, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about. You know, there's just something about somebody taking the time to you know put all those little the little subtle things the nuances into special effects that people take for granted right well the, the, so, the devil's in the detail yeah, absolutely and, uh, and yeah i mean i i just feel like back in the day those movies that's that's what they were trying to that was the convincing point it's almost like today they don't feel they have to do as much convincing because you've already bought the ticket whereas yeah, like yeah. you know whereas back in the day they were like no we we want to make that ticket worth their while you know, that's just that's just how I look at it. Yeah, no, no, that's all all solid and fair points. Uh, Neo G, uh, as always, is a pleasure. Let me ask you a quick couple of questions uh, before you take off. Um, you got anything uh, that you're interested in watching uh, this week? Is there anything that's on uh, any anything from the uh, from the past? Anything to the future? What are you looking at? I'm I'm trying to I haven't rechecked to see if uh, let him go is available for me to uh, legally download. <laughs> of course, of course, yes. <laughs> and uh, and Savage, um, Savage apparently was originally released in 2019, um, but didn't have it didn't have its North American release yet. It's a uh, it's a it's a New Zealand film, uh, and it basically follows three decade uh, three decades of one. Uh, one guy's uh, life as an enforcer for a notorious gang. And oh, okay. uh, the, the trailers looked really interesting. It looks like one of those, you know, kind of uh, hard, hard uh, gripping type films along the lines of like uh, films like Narc or, or Nil by Mouth. It's got that. Oh, kind yeah, of, yeah. It's got that kind of UK, um, you know, rough feel to it, being that it's, you know, like an, a New Zealand film. And yeah, it just looks interesting. So, I mean, for for, for what we have as options out there currently and, and for trailers that I've come across, it, it's something that I've been trying to find. I'm going to uh, dive into uh, Mel Gibson in Fat Man. Uh, I'm going to attempt to... That, uh, yes. uh, Mel Gibson, uh, uh, the Santa Claus movie, uh, the violent Santa Claus movie um, uh, is uh, now streaming. I'm going to be watching that. Uh, Vince Vaughn in Freaky, uh, which is the uh, Blumhouse version of Freaky Friday, um, where the body uh, with a teenager gets switched with a serial killer. And Neo G, I really. I just, I, I just want to say one thing. Yeah, of bro. course, yeah, please. This Fat Man movie, I have to say, I'm super happy that someone watch Scrooge and we're like, I'm making that Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> this, is the, this is this is Bill Murray's fucking violent Christmas film from Scrooge, man. Right. That's what, that's yeah. what this is. Right. Yeah. It's it's yeah, it, it's 
it's only a matter of time before somebody did this. And uh, <laughs> totally. it, so I, I am pleased to see. I, I do miss Mel Gibson. Um, I know I he's not. Well. I know he hasn't finished paying for all the the heinous crimes that he did over the course of the last two decades. Um, you know, <laughs> our uh, political figures uh, get off easier. Um, yeah, totally. and, and rightly so. Rightly so. Uh, no, but I do, I, I, I do miss Mel Gibson. Um, I, like I said, if he wasn't, uh, if, if he didn't get uh, tossed out of Hollywood the way he did, we would at least have got to see one more Lethal Weapon and uh, maybe a, a better, better send off than Part Four was. I, I agree, uh, and that is disappointing that we were it, uh, robbed of that chance. We he, we were robbed of that. He's That's, hugged the cactus long enough, people. Yeah, he has hugged that cactus. Uh, we can let him. We can let him live and make a living again. Um, Neo G, don't forget, uh, check out Man. Mandalorian, I urge you. It's uh, I promise you, it's not uh, it's not Star Wars uh, garbage. So okay, all, all right, right. Uh, Neo G. Thanks very much. I always appreciate it, uh, everybody. Uh, this has been uh, be kind. Please rewind. Uh, remember Tuesday, uh, President's Neck is missing. Episode four, conspiracy theories. Uh, we hope to uh, uh, see you guys then, and uh, all the best. Thank you, everybody. You got it, dude. <laughs> This has been The President's Neck is Missing, your quasi-intellectual guide through today's modern world. Catch these idiots once again in our next episode.